As I mentioned just a moment ago, um, we've been taking a journey through the Old Testament together. And uh, if you've been tracking with us, you know that Israel has entered into the Promised Land. And now, because of disobedience, they have been exiled from the Promised Land. And there's a group of folks who uh, were exiled during the first siege of Jerusalem. And uh, a part of that group was a guy named Daniel. And God directed Daniel to write to us, uh, not only for people in his day, but for us today, their experience in exile in a place called Babylon. And so I invite you to turn over with me to Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to be reading a couple sections here to you, but we'll make an attempt to cover the whole book during the message. But starting in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 1, we read, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in treasure house of his God. Then the, court, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Some of you guys are thinking, he's describing me. Look at that. I'm in the Bible. He was to teach them the language in the literature of, Babylon, of the Babylon, Babylonians, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to devile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief, the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So these four young men, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered into the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king 
about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And as you are, we do have kingdom kids today. Uh, Marcia and our kingdom kids workers are going to meet right over here. And they will be upstairs of our education, of our Christian Life Center, excuse me, where they can be picked up after the service and they'll have a chance over there to learn and worship at their level. I want to just pause here for a moment and uh, ask if you would just to pray with me. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. God, we know we come to it not as uh, another book of history. We come to it as a living book, which your Holy Spirit has inspired, written, yes, by humans. But you stand as the author behind the human authors. And because that is so, we believe that what we read just now and what we will cover today is you speaking to us. And Father, I know that through your Holy Spirit, you have a way to apply what we see in your word to our lives differently based on what we need to hear. And I'm just asking that you would do that. But Father, I also know we have a part to play in that. We need to be willing to hear from you. So Father, I pray that you help our minds sharpen our attention on your word and your spirit. Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that we would be receptive to what you have to say, and God, that you might ready our hands and our feet to take what you show us and not leave it here, but live it out in this coming week. This is what we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this is the season of Christmas. What are we celebrating? The birth of Jesus, right? God sent Jesus into the world with a mission. Something that I think is really interesting. God is an intentional, missional God, which means simply he has a plan and a purpose in which he is acting out throughout the history of the world. And so when we are coming up on Christmas, we are celebrating the birth of Jesus, which is the fulfillment of or the peak or the pinnacle of God's plans for us and for the world that he has created. Not just temporarily, not just for here and now, but his eternal plans. And I'm reminded of uh, John 17. You may uh, know that this is, John 17 is uh, a prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples then and for you and me now. And I want to read just a a little bit out of what Jesus says about his mission that God had given him in the world to his disciples then, which applies to us now. John 17, starting in verse 14, these are the words of Jesus as he prays to his heavenly father, okay? He says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. Now he is talking about his disciples. That's the them. I've given them your word, the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. See, Jesus was about to die, 
resurrect and ascend and go into the heavens to be with his father. But he's saying, Father, these that follow me will stay. Why? They are not of the world, even as I am of the world, Jesus says. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And now we get to the why. Why should they stay? Why should they have stayed then? And why are we here now? Jesus says, as you, Heavenly Father, right, have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, what that tells us is that every Christian who has ever lived, God has a purpose for them to be missionaries in their corners of the world. And you heard on the video about a a woman who felt called to be a missionary and went off to a foreign land and came back to where she was from to be a missionary in her homeland. And that is what you and I are. We are missionaries in our world. That is what God has called us to be. And yet, we also see in Jesus' prayer that wherever your little corner of the world is, is not actually your home. In a sense, it is home. But in another sense, it's not home. I think about that confusion a little bit sometimes when we're going home to see family. And we tell the kids, get everything ready. It's Thanksgiving, uh, Wednesday morning. We got to pack up the van because we're going to go home to see family. And then while we're there, uh, usually a few days in, we say, we're ready to come back home to Kennedy. Right? So we have a home, but we also have another home. And, And Jesus is saying to his disciples, yes, you live here. I'm not taking you out of this place. I want you to stay here. But just keep in mind... This is not your home. Now, what does that mean for us as believers? And if you're not a believer, hey, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you get to listen to this and hear about this. Because if, if, if you become a believer, this, is, this becomes your identity. You become a missionary, meaning you are sent. That's what mission means, the Latin word missio. It means to be sent. It means we are sent into our corners of the world to share the love of Jesus. Now, Paul talks about it like this. There's a guy named Paul. Uh, he started out persecuting Christians and he became a Christian and then became a church planner. In other words, he went out and started new churches, right? And Paul says this to a church that uh, he had ministered in, in a city called Corinth. And the letter that was written to Corinth is called 2 Corinthians. And in the fifth chapter, 20th verse, he says, you, for we are Christ's ambassadors. That's how he describes himself and those he's writing to. We are an ambassador for Jesus. Now, what what does that mean? Well, we know what an ambassador is, right? An an ambassador is someone who will live on foreign land representing their home country. And Paul says, that's what you and I are. We may live in Kennedy or Carnes City or Carnes County or wherever it is that you live. You may live here, but you are representing Jesus from your homeland. Because at your homeland, where you're really from... When Jesus says, they are not of the world any more than I am of the world, what what are we of? We are of a kingdom that we cannot yet see. The kingdom of God. That's our homeland where what God wants is what God gets. It's where God's will is done because he's king. And that's one of the perks of being king is that whatever you want is what's done. And if not, there are repercussions. And if you read Daniel this past week, you saw that. If the king wants someone punished, they're punished. If the king wants someone rewarded, they're rewarded. The king's totally in charge. So what that means for us is if we are ambassadors, it means we have a homeland, the kingdom of God. 
And yet we live here, which is not our home. What is our job? Why are we here? We are sent by Jesus, as Jesus said in John 17, to represent that home country, the kingdom of God. That's our job. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we would say we can easily get sidetracked from that job. We can forget that we're actually left here by Jesus with a mission and think we're, we're here to make our lives good and comfortable and better. We're here to make ourselves happy. It's very easy to fall into that line of thinking, I do it every single day. But that's not why we're here. We're here with a very specific mission as ambassadors of Jesus to represent God's kingdom to our world. And and I don't have to tell you this, but our world can sometimes not be very interested in that. We live in a world and even in our own culture, which once was called a Christian uh, country, and and it's hard to find that is still true today, is because what do we see? We see that our world is not exactly friendly to our Christianity anymore. Not only is it not friendly, but in some corners of, of our country, Christians aren't even tolerated. And... That brings us to Daniel because this is the exact position Daniel is in. Daniel has been exiled from his homeland, Judah, which is a part of Israel. And yet as he is in this new place, and he's not going to get out of it anytime soon, he's going to have to plant roots and live there. That's what Jeremiah had prophesied to uh, God's people as they were being exiled. You're going to have to set up shop there. That's what God wants. You're not coming back quickly. You're going to be there a while. And Daniel had to find a way to stay on that missionary track to represent God and God's kingdom in this foreign land. And so in that way, I think I wish, honestly, I wish we had a lot of, lot of Sundays to talk about this because I think it's so uh, applicable to our lives and powerful in this demonstration. But we're going to do our best to cover as much of Daniel as we can in the few moments that we have left together. The story of Daniel gives us, I think, Four big things that will help us live as ambassadors of Christ. To live as God's representatives here on earth. To shine the light of Jesus from the kingdom of heaven to the kingdoms of this world in which we currently reside. Four things that I think we find not only in Daniel 1 but throughout Daniel that can be helpful to us. And the first one is to know who you are. You have to know your identity as a believer of Jesus. Because one of the things that we have an enemy, right? And our enemy is Satan. And what Satan would love for us to do is forget who we are. Forget that we are sons and daughters of God left here with a mission to share and show the love of Jesus to the world around us. We have an enemy that wants us to forget that. Not only that, but internally we have some things that would pressure us to forget who we are as sons and daughters of God, beloved by God, adopted into the family of God, forgiven by God because of what Jesus has done for us, so so on and so on, that our identity is at risk every single day. Now, this was tangibly felt by Daniel, right? Not only was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah removed from their home country, but as you read in Daniel 1 with me, their names were changed. Now, this was not a benign act. It was intentional. The Babylonians and those in charge changed their names to integrate them into their society. Now, what does that mean? It means they were trying to get them to forget who they were. 
and set up a new identity in this new kingdom so that this new place, Babylon, would be home. So they changed their names. Daniel in Hebrew means God is my judge, but he was renamed Belshazzar. And Belshazzar means, O lady, protector of the king, which is another way of talking about the, the wife of the god Bel. And Bel was a Babylonian god. And so he went from being named after his Hebrew god, Yahweh, to being named after a Babylonian god. Same thing happened with Hananiah, whose Hebrew name means Yahweh is gracious, but he became Shadrach, which that name meant commander of Aku, which was the moon god. Aku was the moon god. Happens as well with Mishael, whose name means who is like God. And his name became Meshach, which means who is like Aku, which again, Aku is the moon god. Azariah, the fourth uh, fellow that we read about, his name means Yahweh is helper. And Yahweh is the formal name for God, the God of the Bible, God who created all that there is, the same God that, that, uh, that we read about in the Bible. That's, that's the formal name of, of our God, Yahweh. So Azariah's name was Yahweh as helper. But his name became Abednego, which means servant of the shining one, which is a reference to Nebo, another Babylonian god. What's happening? They're wanting them to forget who they are. They're wanting them to forget their identity. We have to fight every day to remember who we are. As sons and daughters of God, that is first and foremost, is to see ourselves in the mirror as children of God, saved by grace, given a mission in this world. The second thing that is so important that we see in Daniel is not only do we have to know who we are, but we have to live who we are. We have to live up to the name that we've been given as Christians. We have to live up to the status of being a son and daughter of God, not in order that we keep it. Understand, the fact that we are in the family by adoption through Jesus is all grace. And grace means what? A gift. We could not earn it. It was given to us freely. All we had to do is receive it. But once receiving it, what do we do with it? We should use it. We should live it out. Just like you're coming up on Christmas time. Hopefully you're looking for gifts people will want and use, right? You don't want to just get the junk and the checkout aisle. The fall apart stuff. You want to get them something they will use and enjoy. Well, salvation is a gift given to us that we should use and enjoy. And Daniel's story is telling us you got to know who you are, but you got to live who you are. And his great concern is that they were already, as soon as they got there, they're being tempted to not live out who they are. How so? Daniel 1.8, we read, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself, not to pollute himself with royal food and wine. And so he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, we don't really know exactly what he means. It could be that eating this food would be defilement because that food was first sacrificed to a, a, a Babylonian god. It might be the kind of food that they were at or that they were offered because uh, the Jewish folks have very strict uh, dietary laws. If you remember that from the other readings of the Old Testament and many of them still follow that today. So it could be that or it could be the way the food was prepared was not done in a way that God prescribed. I think it could be all of that. But I also think it's the very fact that Daniel is saying we know what the king's doing. 
Why would the king treat these exiles so well? Let's be honest. They're eating from the king's table. You understand what that means, right? The king eats the good stuff. It reminds me of like when our family, sometimes we'll get steak. And it's a special treat because as you know, it ain't cheap, right? Now, what do our kids get when we eat steak? Well, they get hot dogs, right? Because hot dogs are very affordable, right? And, uh, and it works great. You should try it. All right. But if I were to say, eat the good stuff, eat the steak. Now, that, that's what the king of Babylon is doing. Eat off my table. Now, why would he do that? They're slaves. They had no choice in the matter. They could have been given gruel, which is basically what a hot dog is. I mean, that's what could have happened. But that's not what happened. Why? Because he wants to influence them to see the king, Nebuchadnezzar, I am your provider now. I am your king now. And I'm benevolent. All you have to do is do what I say. Defile yourself and what you believe in order to live for me. This is, in essence, what the king of Babylon is saying to them. I'm going to take care of you. I am the one who will give you your daily bread. You only need to be obedient to me. And Daniel perceived this, and maybe more that we've talked about, but he perceived this and he says, no. I'm not going to defile myself that way. See, there's a world, there's a way in which the world lives. And I don't have to tell you what that is. There's a way in which God calls us to live. That's in direct. uh, uh, It is not uh, congruent with that at all. Doesn't line up at all with the way the world lives. And if you read the Bible, you'll see that. Now, what do we do? Do we let the world defile us to influence us? To live the ways of the world? Or do we say like Daniel, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm going to live for God. So as we're living in a world that maybe not is supportive of our, of our beliefs or our way of being in the world, how do we combat that? We have to know who we are. We have to make a commitment not to defile ourselves, but to do what Romans 12, 1 tells us, which is, or 12, 2 tells us, which is to not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, remembering again and again, anew and anew, that we are a child of God. Thirdly, all that's for naught if we hope to have influence, if in our daily lives, We don't do what God has called us to do with excellence. I think this is an important point because you can be a Christian. You can know who you are. You can choose not to defile yourself, but in your workplace, you're known as the lazy, gripey, complaining person. Uh, And you can be a Christian. You can call yourself a Christian. You can even wear a Christian t-shirt. You can have perfect attendance at church, church services. But in the classroom, your teacher knows you as the disobedient, loud-mouthed, smart-alecky student. Right? It does no good for us to be uh, aware of who we are and to choose not to defile ourselves in certain activities. But then we don't do what God has called us to do in our area of life with excellence. We see that in Daniel one twenty. What do we read there? We read in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better. Daniel and his friends were ten times better than all else. Now, let me be clear with that. Chapter 1 verse 17 tells us 
that God is the one who gave them these gifts and abilities, right? God granted that to them. God granted you the ability to do your job. God granted you a brain to do your study. God has given you what you need to do what he has called you to do. The question here is not just will you do it, but how will you do it? Will you seek to do it with excellence? Will you represent your God in every sphere of your life, proving to be a person who not only believes in Jesus, but seeks to honor Jesus? Uh, A couple of my favorite verses along these lines that I I think about... um, somewhat frequently comes out of Colossians Colossians chapter three, verse 17 says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the father through him. A few verses later in verse 23 of the same book and chapter, whatever you do work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for human masters. It's great that you're known as a Christian. And it's great that there's some things that you know you shouldn't do that you don't do. But the things you should do, do you do with excellence? Do you do as if you're serving not a boss, not a teacher, but you're doing it to serve Jesus? I work hard. I do what I do the best of my ability for the name of Jesus. And that goes for if you're if you're a volunteer in our church. Am I doing what God has called me to do the best of my ability? That is part of our witness, y'all. Oftentimes, that's what people will see, is our attitude and our aptitude, how we are, what we do. That's what people see. That's a witness. You're telling people something about what you believe. And Daniel and his friends excelled. And now the fourth thing, and we're running way out of time, uh, and I've got more here to share than I could possibly do in the few minutes we have left. But what Daniel understood is that this is who I am. This is what I'm not to do. This is how I am to do what I am supposed to do. And at the same time, he had no illusions that that would mean life would be easy. Daniel, when he came up with this idea of let's just eat vegetables and water, uh, he says in verse 12, talking to the official in charge of him, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearances with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, we're going to live out who God has called us to be. We're going to do it with excellence. But we know that by the very fact that we don't, go along with, with, with the ways of the world, that that's going to shine a light on us that could cause problems. And we're okay with that. Now, I'll be honest, sometimes Christians are, are uh, not persecuted, but certainly around the world they are. But sometimes Christians are looked down upon uh, because of some of the other stuff we've talked about. Because they, they have a bad attitude and so on. Uh, They don't really reflect Christ and and the word of God in their lives. But sometimes, and certainly that's true around the world and it was true in Jesus' day, sometimes the persecution will come solely because you're a follower of Jesus. Because your identity is in him, you have to live a certain way. Sometimes the persecution will will come because of that very thing. 
And the fourth and final point I think we can take from this first half of Daniel is that we have to know that and be okay with that because we've got a greater mission in mind. My hope in this life is not to be comfortable. It's not that everybody would like me. My hope in this life is to live as Jesus has called me to live. That's what I'm aiming for. That's my goal. And sometimes that goal will end up costing us. Now, in this instance, uh, Daniel is proven right. But there's a couple other instances that you're well, well aware of if you know uh, the story of Daniel. You know about Nebuchadnezzar's image of gold that he sets up. And he wants everybody to worship it. Shadrach, Meshach, and, uh, and Abednego, uh, the Babylonian names for these three folks from Judah, they say, we're not going to worship it. That takes place in Daniel chapter 3. Now, for them, they don't get off the hook. The king Nebuchadnezzar says to them in Daniel chapter 3, first, uh, middle of verse 15, if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing fire, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Able, but they say this, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What are they saying? We're willing to take the consequences for living as God has called us to live because we have a greater mission than comfort in this world. Similar scenario happens in the life of Daniel. This time people are jealous of Daniel because he's really made a name for himself because he's taken what God has given him and he's done it with excellence and he's risen up in his line of work, working for the king. And this is a different regime. But in Daniel chapter 6, we read about this decree that was published in a tricky back channels kind of way to get the king who admired Daniel to tell everybody that they were to pray, which essentially is worshiping only the king. They did that because they knew Daniel prayed three times a day. He would open his window and pray towards Jerusalem and people could see that. And Daniel hears that this is taking place, that that this decree is made. And this is, this is how the culture now is telling us we have to live. But Daniel didn't do that. He was ready to accept the consequences. How do we know that? Because he went to his room. Daniel 6 verse 10 and 11 tells us three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed. And he prayed and gave thanks to God just as he had done before. And when people had come to arrest Daniel, they heard Daniel praying into verse 11 and asking God for help. If we are to live the mission God has given us in this world, there will probably be, at least in our culture, some light persecution. I I make no uh, allusions to the fact that there are people, there are Christians around the world that are giving their life for the name of Jesus. And, And it's something that we can thank God for that we're not in that position, okay? But I do believe that if we are living for the glory of God, there will be some that comes our way. There will be some consequences at work, at school, in our, in our daily lives for seeking to please only God. But here's the thing that we see take place. Multiple times, 
after these two events in particular, the kings who are overseeing the most powerful nations in the world, they saw how Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they went through their suffering because of their faith. And you know what they did? Those kings, the most powerful men in the entire world, what they did is they turned and worshiped God. How you live out your life is your mission in the world. It will reflect Jesus to others. And it could have an incredibly powerful impact on the people who live next to you, who work for you, who study with you. You could have an incredibly powerful impact on their life because you would say, I'm a child of God. I've been given a mission in this world, which means I can't live any way I want. Nor can I give in to the pressures of the world around me to live how it lives. No, I'm going to do what God has given me to do to the very best of my ability. And you know what? If that means some people don't like me, some people make fun of me, if I don't get that promotion, if someone in my family gets upset with me, I will accept the consequences. Because my mission in this world matters. My mission in this world is not my comfort. Not my pleasure, not what I want, but what God wants. Let's pray. Father God, I confess uh, this this is hard to live out. And I would say it's impossible, except I know that through the Holy Spirit you help us. And even in my own life, I can see you have made progress in me. Not as much as I wish for, I know I hold you back. I know there's more that you want to do in my life that, that I need to let you do. But God, I'm just so thankful that you don't give up on us. There may be Christians here this morning, I know, who have heard this, and they're just beating themselves up. God, I pray that you would encourage them. You haven't given up on them. You you still want to work through them. It's not over for them. Yes, they need to make some changes. Yes, they need to turn. But God, you're right there. You're ready to welcome them, to love them, to encourage them, and to set them on the right path and to walk with them on that path. Because they are your representative in this world. We are your ambassadors left here to shine the light on Jesus. Help us to do that. When we fail, help us to admit that. Help us cling to who we are in Christ, that we are your sons and daughters, and we can never gain it, we can never lose it. God, we want to live out of that. We need your help. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know how you come to hear this message uh, today. Uh, I think about sometimes, you know, you may not be a Christian because of the Christian witness you've seen. That doesn't exemplify what we see in Daniel and his friends. And if I could just encourage you, I, I get that. Because there's a Christian I want to see looking back at me in the mirror that I don't always see. I don't like that. That's reality. So I have no doubt you've seen Christians that you don't want to be like. And you probably shouldn't be like in some ways. But look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look to him. He's the one that came into this world for you and for me.
And for you, if, if you are a Christian here this morning, maybe one of these things we've talked about struck you and you thought, I really need to press into that, that identity thing. Or I see how I'm defiling myself with the ways of the world. Or I'm not doing my best where God has me right now. Or I'm doing all that, but I'm kind of bitter because it's cost me something. And this response is a time for you to just talk to God. That's what prayer is. Just talk to God. Whatever God is weighing on your heart, just talk to him. And that's what we're going to do. So as we sing this song, stand with me if you would. Go ahead and stand with me. As we sing this song together, respond to the Lord how he's led you. If you need prayer, I would love to pray for you. You can just come down front here at the steps. I'll be waiting and, and we'll be glad to pray. Otherwise, let's respond to the Lord in worship and in prayer.